This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hey, hey now. We're back. The second half of Profane Faith is right on you now. Come on. We have enemies within our country. I think it's a combination of demonology and psyop. The citizens are going to rise up and become deputized. I have always supported President Trump. I I like the way he talked. He reminded me of most men. Joe Biden last night in the debate, he's, it's like he's not even a human being. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represented extremism. Can you imagine repatriating all the black Americans that Pat just spoke about to Africa? Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, or even out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. And look... We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'll be your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey fam, hey fam, how we doing, how we doing, how we doing? Well, here we are, here we are, here we are, the second half of season... um, season oians <laughs> season seven fam um yeah i'm excited about this i he uh i'm excited because it's the fall uh i love the fall i love the uh in between uh seasons spring and fall uh always always fun to see the colors and uh you know just seasons changing which is interesting because i am definitely a person who used to be uh like i like one season sunny and clear all day every day um but i've come to really appreciate the the turning of the seasons and how just the the earth in general changes and is you know that just the 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 you know the times and 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 how those keep up with with our own kind of central body configuration if you will um, so yes, I have come to really appreciate, you know, what seasons represent and just, uh, the changing, the changing, um, and just the going through of things through different seasons. So here we are in the fall, um, the second half of profane faith. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because this is kind of the first time, or at least the first season I've broken it up this way. Uh, typically in the past fall would be the time that we start a new season run it all the way through, um, you know, like May of the following year, uh, or maybe even June and then take the summer off and then come back and then, you know, start the season cycle over. But this year, as I'm sure you, those of you who are listening and have been listening, um, I broke off in the summer, uh, and, uh, had a little bit of a break, uh, as I particularly, as I prepared for the coming academic year, which we are in now, Um, and now we have, here we are, you know, the second half and and whatnot. And so, um, I, you know, I got some good interviews, you know, set up. Uh, this is also, there's also some things, you know, I mean, entering the season, season seven, um, is gotten me thinking a lot and I'd be interested to hear back from y'all. Those of you who listen on a consistent basis, those of you maybe just tuning in now, um, subscribing now, which is great. Um, I always welcome new listeners, um, you know, but you know, this is, I've been going since 2017, August of 2017. That was when profane faith, uh, was birthed. Uh, and here we are past August, 2023. Um, and you know, I'm just, I'm asking myself, what does the show need to do? How do we change? Everything changes, right? Uh, do I need a co-host? If so, who would that be? Um, and what that, you know, what would that look like? Um, the show has kind of stayed in the same format since 2017. Um, and you know, I'm just, I'm asking the question, what, again, what needs to change, what needs to change and how do we need to go about, 
um, keeping the show alive and asking the very real question, uh, has profane faith run its course? Have we done all that we can do for what we're going to do? Um, and this is just is what it is, right? You know, and then we just move on to the next thing. I don't know. All things, speaking of seasons, have their season, um, <laughs> which is which is what I tell a lot of organizations, well, which I used to tell a lot of organizations. I don't get invited by, back to, to anything nowadays. But, uh, um, you know, I used to tell a lot of organizations, like, you know, maybe it's just time for this organization just to die, to be burned down and then to reconstruct it in a different mode. I don't know. Um, and, you know, I've, I've shared before just kind of the struggles of just trying to find uh, guests and to have good, interesting conversations. And, you know, just the format of the show um, in general. This is not like a... Uh, uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, what's old boy's name? Ben Shapiro, right? This is not a Ben Shapiro show. I don't want to argue with people. Um, I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the energy. Somebody had suggested that a while back. Like, oh, you gotta have opposing viewpoints. Somebody who just always thinks they're right and <laughs> wants to always implement their their point of view. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, no, that's just not the format of the show. That's that's not what we set up. We set up to, well, I set up. To have genuine conversations around faith, religion, theology, culture, blackness, hip hop, hip hop theology, uh, hip hop and race, um, and 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 particularly those fringe conversations that happen in and around religion, um, and I still think they're happening. Um, I'm you know I'm just trying to figure out like okay so what's next? Has it run its course? Um, it, or has it just, are we just button up against a new season? And I don't know. I am the producer, the, uh, host, the, uh, <laughs> editor, you know, I do my, all my own hosting. So, you know, there is no other input. So yeah, if you got some thoughts and ideas, by all means, email a brother, uh, let me know. Um, you know, and if, you know, you don't know, you know how to contact me, you know, just go to whitehodge.com or whitehodge podcast, click on the content contact link. Um, you can send me a message that way. Um, yeah, so those are just some of the things I'm thinking about here here in 2023. And it's not like the issues are lessening, okay? Um, it's not like the issues that we are dealing with are getting better, okay? Um, but I'm also curious to know what does something new look like? Because everything changes. Like I said before, um, you know, you think about shows, you think about, you know, introducing new characters. I mean, this is not a, a drama or a, a fictional, um, you know, satire you know, environment. But I'm also wondering, OK, where do we go? What do we do next? Um, and does something come up out of this? Um, you know, and I've been on other podcast shows before where, you know, it just it just naturally ended. Um, I did one with uh, my good friend, J.R. Forsteros. Uh, and Kate Sanchez when uh, the American Gods television series was on uh, called Oh My Wednesday. And I loved recording that. I loved watching the uh, the show. I loved talking about it. Uh, I think Neil Gaiman's book, uh, The American Gods, presents a lot of the material that I'm asking right now, right, about gods and deity and supernatural forces. Um, and if you haven't heard of uh, Oh My Wednesday, I will put the show notes. I believe it's still up. I believe it's still up. I'll put that link in the show notes. Um, but you know, it just it just naturally ended. They, uh, I still think the first season they had on that television series uh, was their best. It stayed true to I think the book. The second season was like, eh. you know what I'm saying? Uh, they changed directors. Uh, some of the same actors that were in the original couldn't come back, so the storyline kind of changed. And by the time they got to the third season, we were just kind of like, all right, we're done. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because uh, it just wasn't that engaging. And we seriously sat down and like, okay. Plus, we were all going in different directions, and it was just that time. So, I will pause at that. I've made my point. Um, I also just don't want to be a blabbering, talking head either. That's, that's the other thing. Because there are a ton of POC-centered podcasts now. When I was first started in 2017, there were a handful. And now there are like... A hundred handfuls, which is great. This is great. I think podcasting is a great medium, a great platform uh, to get ideas out on. We're not a big um, 
you know, platform. We're not, you know, we don't have 50,000 subscribers. Um, I wasn't on the new and, and, uh, and interesting on Apple Podcasts. You know, it just, it, it just is what it is. And I'm fine to accept that. I just want to make sure we continue on and, and continue on having uh, the good conversations and just kind of the, the again, does this space provide folks with something alternative to just church, to to um, religion, theology? Um, I'm always interested in, uh, you know, what does it mean to be black and deconstruct? What does it mean to be black and progressive? What does it mean to be black uh, and leaning towards Marxism? Um, and what, you know, right, what, are, what is what is that? What is what? How do all those spaces come together? How does Black humanism, transhumanism come together, um, and and really engage with where we're at right now? Because I do know and believe we are at a precipice in time, um, and that switch or that that next season, if you will, um, for humanity, I think is yet to be seen. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think like, for example, conferences, think about where we're at with conferences, Co conferences in general, um, I think are just about to have run their course. Uh, what more can we hear from the experts? What does it mean? And what does it mean to be an expert? And I, I asked that of myself, what does it mean to be an expert um, in that arena? Do we null and void other people's perspectives? Uh, do the masses still need to be educated on certain things right because we live at a time where there are millions of terabytes worth of information available at your fingertips now do people know how to interpret it are people literate enough to engage with media and technology no probably not uh, that's probably just a handful of folks but nevertheless the information is there um and do we really need more information right do we need really need a stage on the stage right that that old saying right do we need really need somebody else giving you information um and these are just again some of the questions that i ask in general about my classes right um what is the information i'm imparting to you am i really teaching someone or am i just giving you facts and pointers and for those who are fans of myself you know just good you know walking away talking points these again these are things i don't have an answer to that i'm genuinely asking the question um, and so I, these are the, these are some spaces and places that I think would would garner, if you will, a deeper conversation and a, a deeper introspection into where do we find ourselves for those of us who are I find myself and feel that I am a fringe member in a lot of different regards. Now, of course, I'm a part of different academic guilds, but even within that, I don't go to as many as I used to five, six, seven years ago. You know, I used to be a part of, I remember looking back at my Vita, my CV from, uh, you know, like 2016, 2015. And I'm like, God damn, I was a part of a lot of academic guilds right now. It's just AARSBL and uh, uh, ACA. That's it. Right. That's that's it. I am, um, you know, mainly kind of like, well, one, it's money. It's that's the other part of it. Right. It's it's money to get to these conferences. Um, and then what is the what is the payout for AAR for me? It's still a good payout, meaning that I, I make good connections. I network as, you, as those of you who've been listening. You already know I bring up AAR a lot. Just the community feel. I've met a lot of people, brought them on this show. Um, but the reality of it is, is that conferences are getting to that point. One, they're becoming more and more expensive. Uh, two, like for example, AAR SBL this year in 2023 is in San Antonio, Texas. A lot of members that I have respect for are saying, I'm not going to Texas. Texas has got some jacked up laws. Uh, they're killing people at the border, which we all knew, right? Um, so why would I go and support a state that is doing that? I respect that. I get that. A lot of folks aren't doing that. Um, and you know, and that's the other part of it, right? Are we going to go and have conferences in states like Florida? Um, right. States like, uh, Arizona, um, you know, so what, you know, so what, how does that all come together in this day and age where again, things are being thrown up into the air and, and, and the methods and procedures that we once thought worked are not working anymore. Um, I think we can all begin to, at least those of you who listen to this show, begin to 
see some of those things pan out. Um, and right, this is kind of the cornerstone of religion, right? It, it brings meaning, it, it, it brings validity uh, to an ideological structure, a worldview, if you will. Um, and we're seeing that those cornerstones are being cracked. Those foundations are, 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 are falling apart. They are no longer uh, uh, sustainable. Now, in some areas, right, you can see, right, in some mega churches, you know, those things are still alive and powerful and moving and packing. But folks are just, again, reinventing the, the pig with the lipstick, if you will, as my guests will get to here uh, in a second. And I'll introduce them here in a bit. My point is, it's just these, again, these are just ramblings and things that I think about with where we're at. And I kind of wanted to explain just my thought process. I bring this up a lot. I had one guest ask me like, oh, you're still asking about the 2016 election. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot shifted in 2016. Now, a lot shifted in 2008 politically, sociopolitically, when Barack Obama was was uh, was elected president. I began, I, I, it, it really began to usher in where we find ourselves now. Hate crime spiked within the first three months of Obama's uh, against black people um, when Obama was elected in 2008. Um, and from that, right, we have the Tea Party. From that, we have, you know, uh, uh, even Sarah Palin, though, if you think about just where she was at, people thought she was crazy. And now that type of ideological structure is accepted. It's in Congress. It's in the Senate. Um, it's, 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 it's alive and well. Um, and it's not just that in general. I think about left-leaning organizations that are bickering and fighting and you know again i've said it before i say it again i don't want to be a fundamentalist on either side but i see fundamentalism creeping up even in left-leaning organizations and where this sense of binary thought even though people want to say oh no i'm not binary I better it's it's you know right it's either this or that you support them or you don't you know and and i see people taking advantage uh, uh, and make and making a way for themselves and themselves only a very selfish way of looking at leadership that are happening in left-leaning organizations i see fundamentalism i see if you just take away all the other kind of bells and whistles you can tell no difference between a left-leaning organization and a right conservative uh, uh or leaning organization okay um and i don't want to be a part of either i'm just gonna keep it real um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get caught up in the love of ideas. I think those, just like Naomi Klein has said, when people fall in love with ideas, when people fall in love with theories and ideologies, then things become really complicated because humanity is messy. And that's right. That's when you, when people get in the way, people's relationships get in the way. Um, and so to, you know, to continue on with that utopian version of, uh, of that ideology, somebody's gonna have to die. We're gonna have to get rid of these people, right? We're gonna have to get rid of these these immigrants who are making things bad. We're gonna have to get rid of these folks because they're they're making too much noise, right? Give me liberty or give me death, right? The American dream, make America great again. These are all ideological structures, uh, including you know down with whiteness. I mean, again, these ideological structures on both left and right. Uh, it it when you power down into them and begin to just bear, you know, bear down to nothing but the binary, you know, wrong or right. I think that's when we start getting into problems. Um, and, um, it, you know, I, 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 I asked myself that and I, you know, I'm, you know, I'll be the first one to call out white supremacy. Uh, but I'll also be the first one to call out like, Hey, 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 I think we're, <laughs> I, I, I think we're, we're leaning too much towards fundamentalism. Um, even if it sounds good, right. Fundamentalism on the left just sounds good. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to lean that way. So without any further ado, um, these are just my, my thoughts as of now and where we find ourselves. Um, and, and we are in a, in a space. And if you still haven't come to a, a, a place where you're where you're seeing where this space and place is, um, I say just just take a look at where we're at with social media. Take a, take a look at where we're at with AI, artificial intelligence. Um, and just what that poses. And again, I'm not trying to scare folks. I just want us to be open to what the next decade is going to bring. Okay. When they're talking about putting a space hotel up by 2027, but we still don't have good access to healthcare. Okay. When they're talking about putting billionaires, you know, on Mars. <laughs> okay. 
uh, but we have a planet here that's, uh, you know, about to, you know, it's crumbling in on itself. So again, these are some of the things that I'm asking myself. What is that going to look like? Um, and, 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 and what does life look like in a, in a world where we're not really sure what to tell apart from fact and fiction? Make sense? Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let me introduce my guests because uh, they have an amazing story. They had me on their um, podcast uh, not too long ago, uh, which I'll talk about here in a second. Uh, and I wanted to have them on the on the podcast. This is uh, Tamise Spencer Helms. She they is a published author, speaker, and theologian based in Richmond, Virginia. At 20 years old, Tamise was drawn to full-time ministry. After 15 years, Tamise went on to found Subculture Incorporated, a nonprofit that provides holistic support and crisis relief for black college students, something that's whew, really needed. In addition to their bachelor's degree in religious studies and copywriting at Virginia Commonwealth University, Tamise has a master's of arts in contextual leadership and a master of arts in theology. Over the years, Tamise has been a change maker and a pioneer for young people in her community. Throughout their life, Tamise has connected, supported, and ministered to countless young adults. A friendly and down-to-earth approach to public speaking and teaching, as well as their dedication to theological study, has helped empower and inspire people in her community and beyond. Tamise lives in Richmond with their spouse, Ellison, her daughter, Harlem, and their puppy, Beacon Ray. In her spare time, she loves to dissect and listen to hip-hop, which unfortunately we didn't get a chance to talk, get even get into, because there was so much else to cover, but we're going to get to that uh, at some point, because I'm going to have uh, Tamise back on. Uh, watch documentaries, whiskey tasting, all right now, and relax with a good book and a fresh cup of coffee. Her debut book, Faith Unleavened, The Wilderness Between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd, was released this year in 2023, February 21st. I will put the links in the show notes uh, to get that book and to check it out. I myself have to purchase that book myself. I have not had a chance to read it. Uh, and uh, yet, But there was more than enough stuff to talk about with Tamise. I was thankful to have her on and to begin to unpack where we find ourselves with blackness, queer, LGBTQ. This is gonna be a great conversation. Welcome back to the second part of season seven here at Profane Faith. I hope you enjoy this talk. All right, check it out, fam. Well, welcome to the show, Tamise. This is uh, it's great to finally have you on. Good. It's good to be here. I'm I'm really, really honored. So I appreciate you having me. Oh, no, shoot. I When you reached out, I was just like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I'll go on your show if I can come back on yours. It's, oh, if you can come <laughs> on mine. So this is great. Um, well, let me ask you the question that I ask everybody, and that is, what has been happening for you from birth to now? What's been going on for you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I grew up. I grew up in a black family, so I grew up, you know, church. Um, my parents, their parents, uh, were pretty much kind of separate kind of lifestyles. My dad's family was very like respectability. My mom's family was very much blue collar. Um, and so they came together. They met at Hampton University. Obviously, okay. I came along. Okay. Um, and so like education and black history and blackness has always been really important for us okay. um, in my family. So went that route. And then when I was about 17, um, I went to this play that was talking to us about hell and salvation. And I say that that's the day that I met white Jesus. Um, I was told that I was going to go to hell unless I confess these certain things. Um, and I mean, I'm 17, so I didn't really know like what to do other than that. If somebody tells you there's a target on your back, you just want the target off your back. Right. So that's right. what I did. Did that up until Trayvon up wow. until 2021. Wow. Or 2012. I'm sorry. And so, um, I think since then, since that point in my life, it was kind of a period where, I was just kind of unraveling, but also kind of what I call unleavening, which was like, you know, extracting that whiteness and stuff out of the way that I thought about God and myself and scripture. Wow. Um, so I don't know like where I'm at now. I mean, I think I have so much gratitude, you know, for the the tra tradition that I was a part of, but like, I really don't want no parts of it at this point. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of who I am. I wrote a book about it recently, last February, and it's been doing pretty good. So that's that's me. 
Okay, no, this is good. All right, so you you this is good. I like the 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 bag of worms you've just opened up here. All right, definitely want to get to the book here, but I'd be curious. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because that's something that I know. I got a student right now in one of my classes, African American, um, former Marine, and the first thing he told me is is like uh, first week one day one. He was just like, man. I'm like decolonizing my Christianity and like, you know, he's, he's a little older and stuff. I was like, okay, first of all, to have that language, but yeah. I'd be curious, how do you unpack that? He's like, you know, that you, when you say that that's not for me anymore, I'd be curious how, how you unpack that and what that looks like, because I'll say this real quick. And I, I, I want you to get in on it. Oftentimes the, the, the conversation around deconstruction tends to be very white. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So break that break that down for us a little bit. I think that that's part of it, right? Like deconstruction any kind of movement. Um, deconstruction is just like a thing that you do and you're just left with rubble. And I don't really think about my process like um because I had real experiences, you know, with the and so it was much more about recognizing how whiteness had jacked up my thinking how it was embedded in my theology and getting to extract that. When you extract all of that, really the imperatives that make you a Christian uh, or that I thought made you a Christian, I don't believe half of it because I think all of it's been tainted with whiteness. So I don't think it's like, I don't know if it's like, I have to have integrity. And right now it's like, I don't believe half the stuff that would make you a Christian at this point. So I don't think I'm a Christian. And I think that that's fine and people can blame you know, whiteness. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with all of the what ifs mm-hmm. at this point, because I mean, I think I did it so wholeheartedly and was so turned off to myself and to like actual reality that I'm just done, you know? So I'm, I don't know what I'm on right now, but it's definitely not Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So the, how would you categorize, like when you think about the, the supernatural, the uh, you know, the, the, the forms of deity, how I, I'd love to hear how you construct that yeah. or not, or not, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not putting, I'm yeah. not trying to put words in your mouth. I, I just, yeah. I'm just curious. So, I mean, I think that there's an element of where I'm kind of like in the process of right now, spirituality for me looks like being absolutely present to the moment because that's all I really have. I, I definitely have the past and that kind of informs how I enter into this space. I definitely hope that the future is better, but what I really know and have like actual reality is yeah. like what's happening for me right now, right here and right now. So to me, you know, being present is what it means to be spiritual. Being honest is what it means to be holy. Like I think, you know, I still kind of rock with some of the things that were said either in the name of Yahweh mm-hmm. or on behalf on Yahweh. So I'm like, I'm on that, but it's like, you know, even the idea of holiness and stuff like that. And I know that you talk a lot about the sacred and the profane. Like mm-hmm. to me, I'm realizing like holiness is just honesty. Mm. Like, um, and, and like, you know, for God to name themselves, I am, it, it speaks to radical presence. It just means I am. And um, so to me, I'm kind of like, that's the vein I'm kind of walking in. In the same way, like, I feel like Jesus definitely led me to this place of, like, introducing me to the spirit, right? And the spirit yeah. has guided me into truth. And um, and I'm appreciative of that. But I think it's more of, like, the way that I respect and honor Jesus just looks a lot different now. It doesn't okay. look so much like worshiping a Lord, the Lord. It's more like this is a person that I have to befriend and I like move through life with and mm-hmm. that I have a lot more agency in terms of my life and my spiritual life and what I will and will not do. It's just a lot more agency for me than that used to be. Yeah. In that regard. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I think, I think that's a big part of, right. Just kind of reconciling some of this stuff. And I'd also be curious to know like how you navigate the intersections of all this, right. Being yeah. black, uh, having come from that tradition, interacting with other African Americans yeah. who come from kind of the devil's behind every bush or God is behind yeah. every you know rock or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's just it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so yeah. I, I mean, and I don't even know if you're in some of those conversations. Uh, yeah. You know, about you know the proximity of what you what you have or who you, who you engage with and, and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm definitely like building it as I go. Right, I think, um, and so that's what I mean. Like, I feel like really Jesus led me out of Christianity, if I'm being honest, like, yeah, <laughs> I really just feel like I was led out of that whole container altogether. So, I mean, now I'm like embracing 
you know, African spirituality, getting back into the ancestors, you know, I built my first altar and I'm like trying mm. not to lean on um, what people tell me I need to do. Because I think at the end of the day, religion in and of itself uh, is a strange bedfellow. You know, it's like yeah. religion has not done much for me. Um, my intuition and my connection with God has been the thing constantly that has been deliverance that has been hope that has been life. And so it's kind of like, I kind of move in and through spirituality kind of, I say that I come and I go in the name of Jesus, right? Like I come into anything and I'll leave out of that space in the name of Jesus, whether that's, you know, spirituality, whether that's mushrooms, whatever it is, like, I feel like my guide has been, you know, the Nazarene, but it, it just feels different um, these days. So yeah, I'm open to like all of it. As long as it ain't trying to harm or hurt, <laughs> I'm with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think that that's, that's powerful. I think that's very um, freeing for, mm -hmm. for for a lot of us. I think that we're raised really in, in evangelicalism that is very set in its ways. That's very, mm -hmm. very much, you know, prescribed. Um, yeah. And I think there's more of us. When I say us, I think there's more POC, more black folk in general that are trying to deconstruct but you know i mean it's it's difficult to yeah. to to pull out in and around that how did how did some of that stuff resonate with like your family because i know that stuff for me is you know yeah. we're, we're still working that out you know in my yeah. my immediate family um yeah. i'd be curious yeah. you know with with you like you know how how does that resonate with them yeah i mean i think there's always been a relative amount of syncretism just in the black community in general like we'll turn up to kirk franklin we'll do marvin gay and nobody is asking any questions right so right i think my family the departure for them was when i became evangelical actually it was kind of like i had to choose between being black and being christian between being queer and being christian there were all kinds of like binary choices I had to make um, in light of sort of meeting white Jesus that my family was sort of suspect about. Like they didn't see how I was able to integrate parts of myself that I, that were enjoyable. Um, hmm. And really what ended up happening is like, I basically just thought they were unsaved, that they needed God. And I put a lot of distance between them because they were going to be my downfall. They were going to cause me to have a slippery slope and be apostate. And so when I left everything in 2012, they were just right there. Like it wasn't even that deep to them. It was just weird. Like we told you them white people was crazy. That's kind of how it was when I came back. Like we tried to tell you. Um, so I feel really grateful for my family because they, they were real patient with me. And a lot of, mm. I said a lot of trifling things to them over the years. Mm. Um, but they never like they never stopped being who they were. They never stopped like trying to remind me of where we came from. Yeah. Um, it was just mostly my perspective and the way I was looking at them as like, you know, they all going to hell because they don't, you know, do expository <laughs> preaching or read, you know, RSV, ESV or something, you know. Right. So. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, you 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 saying a mouthful there. That um that is the that is the truth. In fact, in my my hip hop class yesterday, we were talking about rogue religions and that same brother that I was telling you, this is the one that the, the cat that I was just telling you about. That's the class he's in. And so he was like, what, 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 tell me about the King James version, brother. So, you know, we <laughs> broke that down and just, again, mm -hmm. just kind of how those, those cycles have, yeah. have continued to stay, uh, yeah. stay in particularly, you know, the African-American community. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so tell me about this book, debut book, faith unleavened, the wilderness, yeah. I love mm -hmm. the subtitle, The Wilderness Between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd. That was just released here in yeah. February, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell so me a little bit well. about that. Um, uh, I unfortunately have not read that, um, yeah. and I need to, so I'm not asking informed questions. I apologize. <laughs> I need to actually get that and, and read that, but I definitely want to break that down and, and you know, kind of give us a synopsis without giving away the, you know, yeah. the, the heart. So it basically just kind of chronicles the time frame between, you know, Trayvon and George Floyd and whatever the process was that took place for me um, between those two murders. I had I experienced them and responded to them very differently. And I was in a very different place spiritually. So hmm. with Trayvon. 
that was kind of a wake up call. I mean, I kind of felt it at Katrina. I kind of felt it at Obama, but it was always kind of routed through religious differences. So I was never able to, you know, well, they have voodoo in Louisiana. So that's why things happen to them. Or, you know, uh, Obama might be Muslim. And at first it was kind of like, wait a minute. But that was some of the rhetoric. So around Obama's second term. And then when Trayvon died, it was the first time I realized, like, wait a minute, y'all, like this something is wrong here. Like, because I was actually in a context, a charismatic context at that time that talked a lot about hearing the heartbeat of God and being friends with God and all that stuff. And so what was shocking to me is that nobody was saying anything about Trayvon at all. Mm. Um, And so it's kind of like, wait, wait, God's not talking to y'all about this. (laughs) Um, And so it kind of started to kind of dawn on me how much whiteness had been a part of what I thought was true, what I thought was right, what I thought was God. And so by the time George Floyd died, I was a like single mom, divorced, like and living with my parents. It was a completely different thing. I was able to grace George Floyd and find God, like in the process. Whereas before it was like, it was so earth shattering. When George Floyd died, I, I was able to process it, lament it, feel it in my body, rage. Um, and I never had any kind of questions about whether or not this was absolutely r- wicked, whether or not black people needed to die for, for people to wake up. I was just in a different place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of an indicator to me. So then I kind of wrote that story um, to kind of demonstrate what happened between, you know, in that 10 years between the two murders. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's deep. That's deep. I think. Yeah, definitely Trayvon, I would say for me, kind of beginning the, the beginning of the end, if you will, with uh, um, with my deconstruction. Well, it goes all the way even back to when I was kicked out of I, I grew up in a black Seventh Day Adventist environment. So it, mm-hmm. there was a lot that went mm-hmm. on there. But when I got kicked out because my partner didn't want to become a Seventh-day Adventist and I was literally excommunicated. That's kind of the begin the process of me being like, hey, what is it do I really believe? And right. oh, if I eat pork, I'm not going to die and be struck down <laughs> by God. Right? Yeah. Um yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, so so definitely Trayvon and just kind of just black bodies in general. Yeah. Tell me how you're navigating this kind of uh Trump era that we find ourselves in. I ask every guest this because um, I, as as an educator, and I know you know this as well, you know, we pay a lot of attention to like what's going on in, in, in you know, in the media. And one of the things, one of the classes I teach is a media literacy class. And I'm always surprised at this younger generation. They may have come up in this technology area, but they don't necessarily understand or even know and yeah. to be able to decipher, right? The literacy skills it takes to decipher some things. And I'm an old head, right? Like I tapped out like, okay, I'm good at Facebook and super NES. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. All right. But we find ourselves in this, this space and time where there are a lot of different ideologies going mm-hmm. around and this tying back to your book, tying back to where we find ourselves. Cause mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like any of this stuff has gone away this right. wilderness, if you will, that we find ourselves in um, of more black bodies yeah. being killed or just being harassed, beaten, arrested, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that for me, I don't really think I'm navigating that anymore. Like, I feel like I've shut the door on that. I'm not <laughs> I'm not having conversations with white people. I'm not not in the in the sense that like I'm still encountering people who have fragility. I'll have a conversation if you are like sort of actively pursuing anti-racism or something like that. But like I'm beyond by the time. I mean, if, if at this point you're still asking questions about systemic stuff and whiteness and white supremacy and privilege, I'm kind of like I'm the wrong one. I'm not the one. Not after all of this time. <laughs> like, so I mean, in one way, the way I'm navigating the Trump era is by living like my black life matters and mm. I'm not having conversations that are not paid for by white people with white people. Yeah. So like that's one way. But then, then I think the other way is like, really, I think one of the things that I really love about Jesus and the way that Jesus kind of functioned was the use of common sense. Mm. And you can kind of see, like, it's just at this point, it is absolute delusion. I mean, like the, <laughs> it's just, y'all look foolish. I mean, you look absolutely foolish. 
Um, and so it doesn't take a whole lot of conversation at this point. I'm kind of navigating what it looks like to see, you know, white people who are doing that work and kind of going on the anti-racism journey and helping them find the whiteness in their mm. theology, right? Like helping yeah. them think about what does it mean to be rooted down in something that isn't white Jesus? So, um, but to me, I feel like that's my work. It's yeah. like encouraging white people to do, to do ancestry work. Like where are your people from? What clans, you know, all those types of things. Like you got people, you have history and it might be problematic, but then you can do some of that ancestry work and kind of like cut that stuff off or, you know, repent of it or whatever word you want to use. Like I'm, I'm okay to do that right now, but in 2023, we are not still having conversations about, <laughs> we're not having conversations about whether women can preach. We're not having conversations about whether you can be queer or Christian. We're not having conversations about whether or not white supremacy exists in our nation. Like I'm just, it's just, I don't have time. Right. <laughs> have time right. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, ooh, I couldn't echo that even, even louder. I mean, that's, and I would imagine that unless and I don't have some haters that listen to this show just to gather information to try to get me fired. But, um, at the end of the day, most of my audience is in that same position yeah. of just like, I'm, I don't want to have, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going to have a conversation with you. Like, should women be preaching and are gay people going to hell? I'm like, no, I'm not. That was 2001. Like, go go <laughs> right, back to like, the archives. Right. Indeed. Like, come on now. It's 2023. <laughs> I mean, you have a female vice president. And so that's what I mean about, like, the, the common sense piece. It's kind of like you're saying that this is a religion that is about liberty and salvation and freedom. But you're saying there's more forward mobility mm. outside of this religion for a woman then there is inside of this religion. Those two things don't make sense. One of these things is not like the other. If there's, or even thinking about Obama back in the day when they were talking about like Obama's the antichrist and all that stuff, it's like, okay, the forward mobility for black people is antichrist to y'all. Like make it make sense. You, so a lot of times what it, what's been really interesting to watch it's just how foolish it all sounds. It's so hypocritical. And in that way, like, I feel like I still rock with Jesus because I liked how, I like how he did that in the scriptures. He wasn't a jerk, but he was just kind of like, it doesn't make sense. Like, how can you look at the sky, see what color it is and know it's going to like storm, mm. but you can't look at what's in front of you right now and know how that's going to turn out. Wow. So for me, I feel like that common sense piece was probably the first thing that I recovered okay. um, after I left whiteness was just kind of like, this doesn't make sense or like ideas about hell and all of that stuff. Like why? I mean, I wouldn't want to be a part of something where this person, this deity would treat me worse than I would treat my own kid. And then you have Jesus saying, but how much more? So again, you have a conversation to make. Like, what could my kid really do for me to want to see them tormented forever and ever and be conscious of that, to suffer? Like, I don't know what my kid could do yeah. that would make me want to do that. And so people might say, well, you know, well, Christianity is not about sentimentality and it, God's ways are not our ways. And I'm like, cool. But Jesus said I'm supposed to compare the way God is to how I am as a parent. So <laughs> if I wouldn't do it. Why would God? Woo! Right. Like, so I think that there is a lot of like common sense that's come in. And a lot of like when I was talking to you earlier about like this agency of like, that's cool. If that's what y'all want to worship, I'm not worshiping that yeah. and feeling the agency and the freedom to say that. And what I think it's exposed there is like how much evangelicalism in particular leans on fear because they want you to be afraid. If you're afraid of hell, then you won't, you won't say something like that, but I'm not. So mm. you can keep throwing it at me, but I'm not, I would not do that to my kid. And so therefore my theology is God wouldn't do it to me or anybody else. So now that we've covered that, now can we have these other conversations? But a lot of times yeah. like evangelicalism bases its stuff in like God punishing you or going to hell or those types of things. And it's like, well, I mean, or, or like the scripture is inerrant and that's why it's authoritative. But I mean, you kind of like, do you need it to be inerrant to be authoritative? Like mm. you don't need that. Mm. Like, and if you do, then that says something about your own faith, not mine. Like, you know, so I think that those are the things that start showing up for me that has started showing up for me that where now there's just like this newfound confidence, not not to be arrogant, not to be an asshole, but just to say, you know, like I'm not doing fear. I will not embrace the thing that y'all say your religion is supposed to cast out. Like, right. 
none of it makes sense. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So I think we need new wineskins. And I don't know what that is, but like the way that Christianity functions in this society in particular is just like, it's not hitting anymore uh, for me. So, (laughs) So that's kind of like, kind of where I've landed, you know? <laughs> okay, that. I, I love that. That's I, I'm go, I may have to just take that quote from you right there. Like, the way Christianity mm. is right now, it's not hitting anymore. Really um, and the data supports that, right? Whether yeah. you go to Pew, PRRI, American Religious Identification Survey, or just go to Oxford, you know, it's, yeah. it's there is a sentiment that exists that people say, man, yeah. this ain't hitting with me anymore. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's cool. We don't necessarily know about the DTS and all that stuff, but in terms yeah. of the actual practice of religion, because uh, uh-huh. what always gets me is that when, when I have this conversation with people and I can see the, 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 the wheels turning in their head and they're like, yeah. but just come to my church, just come to my yeah. church. Cause we don't do it that way. Like some, <laughs> somehow that version of your, you know, that version of Christianity doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> It's so true. It's very much like, you know, uh, when they put stuff out, like, you know, we welcome everybody. And I saw this TikTok the other day where the guy was like, just tell me whether or not you'll marry me and my spouse. Just tell me whether or not I can Mm. serve on leadership. Don't give me all of the the bait and hook. Like a lot of times people do that. They'll be like, well, we welcome everyone. Okay, well, just answer my questions now. Don't bait and hook. And like, I think people say, well, my church isn't like that. But it's like, no, then, then these are the questions I need answered. Because at the end of the day, whether yeah. it's whether it's lipstick on the pig or whether there's not lipstick on the pig, it's still a pig. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, y'all need You're to right. answer these questions for me first before I can even kind of engage. And it's fine if that's what you want to believe. I just won't worship that. Right. Um, and there, there, there's something very freeing about it for me, actually. Mm. Yes. Yes. All right, so let me let me shift tracks a little bit here, because yeah. um, th- this I think this is when you start talking about human sexuality. Somebody I I saw this as a meme the other day that said, if you really want to see what somebody thinks in regards to just life and society, <laughs> ask them about Palestine and their views on sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, you know, so human sexuality seems to trip a lot of people up. And when I mean yeah. a lot of people, I'm not necessarily just talking about white folks in general. I'm, right. I'm talking about us, black it's folk, right? And it's like, we can talk all these things about raising the white man and this and this and that. But when it comes to human sexuality, then we go very binary. We go very old school. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me, can I play this recording? I want to play this recording. Uh, This is Dr. Umar. uh, (laughs) And uh, he has some interesting views. And I wanted to get your response to this. Check this out. It's one of the biggest reasons for LGBTQ. That's one of the biggest reasons for LGBTQ. And I'm not against no homosexual or no lesbian. I love all African people, but I reserve the right to disagree with any lifestyle that threatens the survival of the traditional African family. LGBTQ is the new birth control pill. Why do I say that? Two men cannot reproduce. Two women cannot reproduce. And now they're even transgenderizing our children. Do you know what that means? They're manipulating and indoctrinating African children to undergo sexual surgery so they'll never be able to reproduce again. When Dwayne Wade's son, Dwayne Wade, whose son is now legally, had his birth certificate changed, Mm -hmm. he's legally a girl. Yeah. Hormone therapy. When he gets 30 years old, and looks in the mirror and says, you know what? I don't like living like this no more. I want to go back to being what God made me, a man. Mm. I want to get a wife and I want to have children. We only got one problem, don't we? Your reproductive is gone. We got another problem. Your testosterone levels are gone. Your ability to produce healthy seed is gone. There is no going back. We are not looking at this LGBTQ thing the way we should be looking at it. It is birth control and racial extermination. Why you think Kamala Harris is traveling throughout Africa trying to convince African countries to legalize gay marriage? Why does America care how Africa chooses to run its society? All right. So that's uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and I get that. Uh, but I I just be curious, like yeah, response to that. And for the record, I do not agree uh, with Brother Umar on 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 those points. Yeah, I mean, I, the first thing, honestly, is funny. I was like, because he said something about like I will not support anything that gets in the way of the survival of the African community. And first thing I wanted to ask him about was like whether he ate hot Cheetos. 
I mean, because there's all kinds of things that are getting in the way of the survival of the black community. One thing could just be overly processed food. So it's Mm. like, let's not pretend that this is a universal thing. This is really based in some 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 homophobia and some patriarchy. But let's just be clear about that, because I want to run through and see if you are imbibing anything else that could get in the way of African survival. Right. Like, I don't see you outside picketing for stop signs in these neighborhoods that gets in the way of survival. I ain't seen you talk about guns that gets in the way of the survival. So for me, it's kind of like I get you. And it's like you're kind of waving the you know black life flag. But really, I think what has gone so undetected in the black community is the patriarchy mm. and the homophobia that needs to be dealt with. Like, I don't think that there's a way to move forward in a conversation unless we even talk about that. Um, and I get the need, right, for, you know, to speak to the sort of masculinity and people who are cisgender. I think that's fine, but you don't have to then apply that across the board. I think that, you know, Zaya Wade is Zaya Wade, and for you to respect the African community, it's for you to call her her name and use her pronouns. Like, you I mean, even in the midst of that conversation, he wasn't even using her pronouns. So it's kind of like, yo, like you don't even you're not even demonstrating re- respect for the African community in this conversation. So I think that's number one for me. Like, mm-hmm. OK, you can have your opinion, but let's not let's not make this about African survival. unless all you eat is vegan food and, and drink water. Like, <laughs> right. Like, come on now. Yeah. 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 Um, and I and I play that for a lot of different reasons. One, I'm, I, I hear this pop up a lot in conversations. Yeah. Um, to the point that I've actually had other black students literally leave my class, black male students who have left the class because they think I'm promoting some, Mm -hmm. this, this kind of conspiracy theory. And it's, and it's, and it's a half a step away from saying that Obama's a lizard and Michelle Obama's a a male lizard, you know, seeker reptilian. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily trying to be funny, but this, this, these things have come up, right? And like you yeah. see a lot of different things in the classroom. And, and the first time that happened, I think I was taken by, you know, again, I've had white students walk out, all that stuff. Like, but this was the first time I had black students be like, oh, no, hell no, nah, man. No, nah, that gay shit. You know what I'm saying? It's always that, you know, all that gay shit. Eh. No, nah, mm-hmm. hell no, nah, man. I was like, wait a minute. You just going in about white folks and about how mm-hmm. they need to do this and they need to do that. And how come they don't respect you and they don't mm-hmm. see your blackness and all this stuff. Right. But the minute we put human sexuality on it, now all of a sudden it's the gay shit. That's the part right there. And I think that that's, we hide behind like the, I think it's in the same way that like white liberals or like, let's say white feminists hide behind feminism. I think a lot of times black people hide behind blackness, but they don't deal with the other stuff. So like a lot of times white feminists aren't dealing with white supremacy. A lot of times black people are not dealing with patriarchy. And I think if you, you can't, we can't have a conversation without addressing that. That's what we have to address first, right? Homophobia and patriarchy, where does it come from? I, I think that that leaving that out of the conversation makes it really difficult to engage, right? Yeah. Like, because at the end of the day now, it's a shame thing, right? Yeah. Like it's a it's a character assassination. It's a, it's a shame conversation where we haven't dealt with the ways that patriarchy has been detrimental to us, right? And at the end of the day, like Dr. Umar has a birthday. (laughs) He was born at some point, which means a whole lot of stuff existed before he did, including queer people. Right. (laughs) There are all kinds of queer people all over the world. So to say, like, well, that's the reason for LGBTQ. No, the reason for LGBTQ is LGBTQ people. (laughs) It's a thing because they exist. (laughs) Like, it's not like some kind of conspiracy that doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. It's not grounded in anything especially when you think of two spirit people, you think of indigenous people that like almost honored folks who were trans because they represented two different realms at the same time. There was an honor given to that. And it wasn't an expectation that the whole society put it on. But when a person lived into who they were, you honor that and you Mm. and you learn from that. You glean from that. And I think like I don't I don't really want to learn from somebody who's not willing to learn themselves. That's just kind of how I feel. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I am with that. I love that. That is, that is, that is awesome. Yeah. I was thinking about that and, and how other cultures and how other, uh, uh, other just societies in general have, have dealt with this. And, you know, so much of 
the binary thinking that comes into, you know, these conversations oftentimes, you know, does boil down to cishet, you know, type of things like, well, we need a man, we need a woman, this and this and that. And so, um, I sometimes wonder if the binary is about like, you know, trauma and mm. generalized or generational trauma being passed down. And the fact that like, I think I don't want to make a generalized statement, but I think when I look at the black community, being present to feeling and, and like being present in a space is really difficult. There's trauma in our body, there's trauma in our memory, but being having a really decent conversation about this is really hard to do unless you're, it's really hard to remove binary unless you're embodied. And I think a lot of the situations, if you think about folks who have learned to be embodied and do live into that thing, like how am I feeling, learning about physiological, physiological realities about, you know, neurons and all this kind of stuff. Like the more that we grow and come into our body, sit still in our body, I think it's harder to be in binary. It's easy to be shut down it's easy to be shut down, mad, bitter, and right, right? Like, <laughs> because right exists in a binary. Oof. But I don't think that transness or queerness allows for that. And I don't think even, I mean, honestly, I don't think even Jesus allows for that. Because his stuff is not about morality. It's about fruit anyway. Like, it's not about right or wrong. It's about whether or not I bite this apple, I can tell whether it's rotten or not based yeah. on how it tastes. And I love that grounding that in fruit rather than morality makes you have to be present. It makes you have to be embodied. And I, I think that that's something we wrestle with, especially black men, of course, right? Like their bodies are under assault. Their bodies are not safe. So I, I don't want to make light of that, but I think there's a relative amount of like embodiment and incarnation that we can gain as we have these conversations that we're not, we're not able to have them unless some of that stuff has been dealt with. Mm. That, that's kind of my thought on that. Ooh, I love it. That is a beautiful thought. That is, uh, that is worth repeating. That is great. I'm glad this is recorded. Um, as we wrap up here, I'd be curious, how do you, how do you survive the day to day? What are some things you do for yourself? What are some things that you do with family? I know you're a parent, how yeah. how do how do you just and, and and survive? I think is like a basic thing. I mean, how do you just live in general day to day without being consumed with uh, the madness that we we are facing? Yeah, I mean, some days I vision like don't deal with it. Some days I shut down. I think I do. I move through like everybody else. I have good days and I have like bad days. But I think what I'm learning is to trust myself. That religion, black or white, took from me. Um, to trust my intuition, trust my gut myself and be my go-to, be my own go-to, right? Trusting that like along the way in these experiences, I've accumulated wisdom because I've just lived and tried to learn that, you know, bringing myself back into the equation, bringing myself to the table of decisions and spirituality has been a game changer. I think for so long, I was an empty shell doing what people on stages told me to do. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of like, I'm on the, like what Jesus says of like, what do the scriptures say? How do you read them? Or what is the gospel according to, to me? Like it was the gospel according to John. I mean, it, it's telling you how they're interpreting this man's life. So I get to, I get to interpret this man's life. I get to interpret his words and find out what good news is like for me. And that has been really freeing because I can wake up each day and not be afraid of God, but I could just live and move and have my being like in God. That, that's been revolutionary for me. Um, I think that's how I move. That's how I'm tr- trying to teach my daughter to move. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's very freeing. That is very freeing. Um, I, wow, this has been this has been really good. We've packed a lot in in just this short <laughs> amount of time. Um, where can folks find you? Where can folks come and, and, and bring you out, get you that honorarium, buy your book? Hey. <laughs> yeah, you can go to uh, tamisnameh.org. Um, that's where people typically will book me to speak or do workshops. I love doing stuff like that. The book is on Amazon. It's called Faith Unleavened, The Wilderness Between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd. And then I have a podcast called Life After Leaven, which the Honorable Dr. Haas was on. <laughs> um, and that's where we just discussed like how we're starting to find treasure in what the church always told us was trash. And what does it mean to engage people to stay away from and not talk to? Because um, again, I think that being present to those conversations will help a lot. 
So that's what the podcast is on. So that's that's where you can find me. I love it. I love it. And yes, I was definitely honored and I had a really good time that you had some amazing questions that you asked. Um, and so, yeah, anytime you want me back on, I will gladly come Absolutely. back on. The show. Yes. And then for those listening, whiteoutpodcast.com, Profane Faith, these will all be linked in the show notes. Go out and support, support, support Tamise. <laughs> buy that book. I know you got a Patreon as well. I'll put that in the links as well. Um, and I'm, in fact, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to go out and get the book. I need to read this because just the title alone is amazing. It, yeah. Oh, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but thank you so much for taking time out today and having this conversation. We're going to get you back on. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season and she endures perhaps being smacked one night and then she seeks help from the church. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus <laughs> and by God's grace it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. There's nothing holy about writing discrimination into the law. And I am tired of communities of faith being weaponized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of it. Hi, I'm Nate, producer and co-host on the Full Mutuality podcast. Let's talk about inequality. It's everywhere. Whether it's rooted in race, gender, ability, or sexuality, there's bound to be an imbalance in power, influence, representation, and access. On our show, we want to explore areas of religion, culture, and society where justice is needed in order to bring about true mutuality. I hope you'll join us for some enlightening, fun, and at times uncomfortable conversations as we envision a world where everyone can live free from systems and structures that keep us from being truly equal. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, to find a list of all the platforms we're available on. Subscribe today and we'll see you on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Mm -hmm.